Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. What do you mean you have a story to tell? I mean, oh my god. Stay with me here, Raymond. Talk to me. I didn't mean to. I... My mind went blank. Your mind went blank? One moment I was walking next to Rita. The next? Oh, it's all coming back to me. Raymond, slow down. Oh my god! Oh my god! Raymond, I need you to start from the beginning for me. What have I gotten myself into? Oh, what have I gotten myself into? April 1947. It had been three months since Rita Bouchard's body was found, bloodied and disfigured from 30 stab wounds, in a park on the outskirts of Pawtucket, Rhode Island. But now the Pawtucket police finally seemed to have a path to the murderer in their sights. And it was 17-year-old Raymond Patnaud who held the key to uncovering the killer. As noted, Raymond was a friend and neighbor of Rita. The police had previously interviewed Raymond about Rita, but he initially had claimed to know nothing of Rita's murder. But now he actually had a story to tell, a story about the murder of Rita Bouchard. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our final episode on the murder of Rita Bouchard. If you like the show, we'd immensely appreciate if you would leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there, because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. The police noticed Raymond Patnaud seemed a little off, a little strange. Investigators needed to determine whether Raymond was someone they could trust to tell the truth. So who was Raymond Patnaud? What was his story? He had lied to the police once already about Rita, and now he seemingly knew more about Rita's death than anyone else. So who was he? Raymond Patnaud was born in 1929. He grew up on the same street as Rita's aunt and uncle. He lived with his father as his mother moved away from the family when Raymond was still young. By all accounts, Raymond had an ordinary childhood. He was quiet and independent, and although he was always short and underweight, he lived an average American life. Until he caught a particularly nasty fever at the age of 14. Although he recovered from the fever, Raymond was different. It's unclear if he was affected by the fever or by an onslaught of teenage hormones, but the next year he changed his entire life. To start, he began to lash out at his father. I'm not going back! Raymond, what's this about? I'm done with school. Done. Just done. Raymond, this is ridiculous. Nothing you can say will change me, Dad. School is not for me. Raymond, school is everything for you. Your future depends on it. I don't need it. Don't need it. Don't need it, son. You can barely read and write as it is. I know everything I need to know. Don't you walk away from me. You are staying in school. Despite his father's objection, Raymond refused to return to school. After dropping out of school, 15-year-old Raymond developed some unusual quirks. Taxi! Taxi! 
Hello. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Now, where are we heading today? I don't know. You don't know? Yeah, I don't know. Then why the hell did you get in my cab? I just want to go for a drive. Why don't we just go for a drive? Just go for a drive? Let's drive around for 30 minutes to wherever the hell we want to go. Through outskirts, through the town. Let's see it all. Let me get this straight. You just want me to drive around wherever? Yes. For a half hour? Sure. No specific destination? Well, maybe we could end up back here, but yes, that's the idea. And you're gonna pay for this? I wouldn't be here if I wasn't gonna pay you. You think I'm nuts? <laughs> All right. What the hell? Let's go. So, let me get this straight. Raymond would just drive around in cabs just because? That's right. That's very odd. It was. But Raymond seemed to keep to himself, and he hated to, as he put it, bother with other people. So many of his neighbors, including the Bouchards, simply ignored Raymond's quirks and let him be. It seemed to many that Raymond was a nice, quiet boy. When he turned 16, however, the perception that Raymond kept to himself would change drastically. Hello? Officers? Uh, What seems to be the trouble? This is the home of Raymond Pettinod, correct? Uh, he's my son. But what's this all about? Is he home, sir? What do you need him for? What's going on? Oh, no. Raymond Pattonaud, you are under arrest on the charges of car theft and corruption of a minor. What? Raymond, this can't be true. Please, Dad! This is a joke. Raymond's a quiet boy. He's not a criminal. Sir, if you want to meet us down at the station, we can discuss this. I can explain. Just let me explain. This isn't right. You can't take my son like this. He's only 16. You can't take him from me. Raymond! Raymond had been arrested on two separate charges, stealing a car and corrupting a minor. Which is better known today as statutory rape. Well, that seems like a pretty big deal. It was. Raymond stood accused of sexual activity with 14-year-olds from around Pawtucket. The justice of the courts was swift. Raymond Pattonaud, on the counts of car theft, and the immoral acts you have perpetrated upon your peers, both male and female, this court finds you guilty of all charges. No. Oh, God. You are being sentenced to nine months at the Sakonosset School for Boys, where hopefully you will learn the proper way to live in our society. This case is closed. I... I I didn't. I, I can't go back to school. The Sakonosset School for Boys was a juvenile delinquency facility notorious throughout Rhode Island. Since its founding in 1881, it had morphed from a prison for rowdy boys to a school preparing troubled children for a life in society. Raymond was miserable at Sakonosset, and his depressed state only caused more of his quirks to come to the forefront. (sighs) Raymond, are you all right? What? You don't seem well. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I have a massive headache. I'm sorry to hear that, Raymond. They tend to always happen around the full moon. Full moon? What are you, a wolf man or something? Ow! Ow, <laughs> Billy, get back to your work or you'll be subject to a solitary hour. Do you understand? Solitary? Alone. Yes, ma'am. Now, Raymond. Raymond! 
there is surely a more rational explanation for your troubles than a full moon. But it always happens around the full moon. Always. There has to be. Now, Raymond. I don't need any help. Raymond, calm down. I just need to be left alone. I just need- Raymond! Just let me be alone! Raymond, do not yell at me again, or you'll be punished just like Billy. You understand? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Raymond had a rough time at Sakonoset, beside the fact that he hated school, the teachers were liberal with their punishments. But eventually, Raymond was released from school in September of 1946. Although his doctors continually noted his headaches and his unusual restlessness, he was deemed ready to return to society. Raymond returned to Pawtucket and tried to reinsert himself into society. And with his 18th birthday approaching, the pressure from his dad was on. Raymond, you need to start bringing in some money. I know, Dad. You've already lost so much time, and soon I won't be able to take care. I'm working on it. Oh, really? Is that why you keep riding around in taxi cabs for no goddamn reason? It calms me down, Dad. It's a waste of money. You're literally going nowhere. It does nothing for you. It does do something. I can't explain to you how much I need those rides, but I do. Fine, fine. But if you're going to keep throwing away money, it should be your own money. I'm going to go back to work on Monday. <laughs> At Rhode Island Fabrics Company? Yeah. You sure they want you back? What do you mean? Raymond, you got the job and then almost immediately decided to leave. For all you know, they replaced you the moment you left. I'll, I'll check in tomorrow. And if they don't take you back? Then I'll find something else. And you'll take a taxi to that something else? Dad, I'll find something. Raymond was trying to get his life back on track. After taking a few weeks' leave of absence at the beginning of January 1947 to de-stress himself, he was ready to rejoin the workforce. And this is where Raymond's story about Rita Bouchard begins. We'll return to our story in just a moment. On Unsolved Murders, we explore the facts of real-life true crime cold cases. But if you're looking for more true crime cases with a bit of a twist, you should check out the ParCast original Female Criminals. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? You picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Well, I bet you didn't think it could be the mother around the corner or the little old lady next door. Female Criminals investigates the lives of the world's most notorious female felons and explores the stories behind their dangerous crimes. These criminals come in every form, from serial killers and assassins to bank robbers and drug lords. Female Criminals is like a mystery and crime documentary rolled into one. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Follow Female Criminals free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to Unsolved Murders. On Friday, January 31st, Raymond Patinod stepped into the offices of the Rhode Island Fabrics Company, hoping to find that he still had a job. The Rhode Island Fabrics Company? The same place that Rita worked? The one and the same. It's open. Mr. Franklin? Yeah? How can I help you? My name's Raymond Pattonod. I started working here a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, I remember you. You're that kid who said he needed some time off for some personal nonsense. Yeah, that was me, sir. Well, what do you want? You want to come back to work? Yes. Yes, sir. I was hoping to start again on Monday. 
That personal nonsense you mentioned has all been settled and- You know, there's a lot of kids in this town that need jobs. You're lucky I didn't find a permanent replacement for you. Sir, please. I really need some work. If there's anything I need to do- Yeah, 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 I get it. Just be here on time Monday morning. We'll give you something to do. Oh, thank you, sir. I, I promise you won't regret this. Save your thank yous for payday. Now get out of here. After his meeting at the Fabrics Company, Raymond stopped by the local movie theater, another frequent habit of his, to relax for a couple of hours. Excuse me. Pardon me. Rita? Raymond, was that you I saw exiting Mr. Franklin's office at the Fabric Company earlier? Yes, it was. I was just coming in to see if I was still employed. I thought that was you, but I was in a bit of a rush out, so I didn't want to bother someone I possibly didn't know. Well, it's grand you're returning. Where have you been? I haven't seen you around the neighborhood. I thought you had quit and left the state or something. Well, I've just been traveling in and out of the state. But I'm back now. And I'll be back in the city for for a while, at least. Wonderful. Well, it will be nice to see you around the office again. That job can get a bit tiresome without... Shh! Pipe down up there! Why don't we get out of here and find a more suitable place to catch up? But didn't you just get here? movie's not important. I was just looking for somewhere to relax, unless you wanted to stay. Oh no. This is my second time seeing this today. If you want to leave, we can leave. Then let's get out of here. Excuse me. Oh, come on! Shh! Pardon me. Rita and Raymond leaving together right as a movie is starting? Do I smell romance? Well, some members of the community believed Rita and Raymond may have dated at one point, but this was mere speculation after the fact. Well, romance or no romance, Raymond and Rita enjoyed each other's company as they walked about town. I'm so sorry about you and Charlie, Rita. Thank you, Raymond, but I couldn't take all the arguing. It simply made sense to end things. Though Charlie won't forgive me for breaking up with him. His anger, it's frightening. You're a lovely girl, Rita. He's only angry because he doesn't want to lose a beautiful girl like you. You're too much of a gentleman. Rita, I only speak the truth. When the right man crosses your path, you'll know from the very first moment. Yeah, well... Hey! Rita? I'm open to it. Just to the park, maybe? Is everything all right, Rita? Raymond, would you like to go for a drive? I'm sorry, what? Do you just want to go for a drive? Rita? I don't know. You said you enjoy going for drives. Well, yes, I do. I appreciate that you know me oh so well, but I... Usually ride in taxi cabs, not the cars of complete strangers. Just think of this as your own personal taxi, then. Rita, I don't know. Come on, Raymond. It'll be relaxing. I really could use a bit of relaxing right about now. Fine. Let's go for a drive, then. Let's go. Who was in the car? Nobody knows. Raymond never told the police who the driver was. All he said was that the car had yellow plates. That's a little odd, don't you think? Mm, it is odd. Do yellow plates have any significance? Not particularly, but Raymond was very keen on emphasizing the license plate color. This he remembered. License plates, but not the driver? Very interesting. I'm wondering, did he mention yellow plates because he actually got into a car with these plates, or was he making up an alibi? Maybe he thought specific details like the license plate color would make his story seem more believable. 
Raymond claimed that he, Rita, and the unknown third man drove about randomly as Raymond would often do. That's very peculiar. If he was making up a story, you'd think a description of the car's driver would be more important than describing the license plate color. Huh. Well, the next thing Raymond told the police was that the mystery driver and the car, the car with the yellow license plates, eventually did stop right outside Slater Park. Where Rita's mutilated body was later found. Slater Park. Such a beautiful place. I really haven't been. Oh, you have to see it at some point, Raymond. It's an absolute grandstand of a park. Why don't we go see it now? Oh, I, um, well, I appreciate the idea, but I didn't realize we'd actually be stopping somewhere, and I, I need to be back downtown. I have a meeting. All right, that's fine. Let's go back downtown then. You got it. Apparently, Raymond's old shyness was coming back out. This seemed like the perfect opportunity for two young kids to fall in love. Or for Raymond to cover for something. Maybe. But according to Raymond, they drove back to the movie theater. Here we are. Back to where we started. It was really nice to see you today, Rita. I I hope now that I'm in town again, we'll be seeing more of each other. I'd like that, too. Well, I'd better be going. Don't want to be late. Goodbye, Raymond. Goodbye, Rita. See you around. You want to go home or back to the park, Rita? Let's go back to Slater Park. (sighs) I need coffee. Raymond then said he walked to a local diner where he felt an instant twinge of regret. Anything else I can get you, honey? I just need the coffee, but thank you. I'll be right here if you need anything. It's not like we're busy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. What am I doing here? What the hell am I doing here? I'm such a fool. I shouldn't be here. I should be at the park with Rita. I should be there for her. I shouldn't have panicked. I shouldn't have left. God knows what she's doing. If she's even okay, if this Charlie thing is still stuck in her head. If I can catch the Charlie, I could still make it to Slater Park. Uh, ma'am? Yes, honey? I'll, uh, I'll take the check. You got it. God, I hope she's still there. Raymond caught the trolley to Slater Park, hoping to find Rita. So he left Slater Park for maybe an hour, tops, and then he came back? We can't be sure of how long he was away from the park, but that's the story. And when he returned to Slater Park, the situation was dangerous. According to Raymond's testimony to police, when he arrived to the park, he found Rita crying on a bench. As he tried to comfort her... She slapped him and kneed him in the groin twice, apparently without giving him a reason. At which point his mind went blank. And although he couldn't remember specifics, Raymond was convinced that he ended up murdering Rita in that moment. All this, Rita's actions and Raymond's reaction, seems a bit over the top, don't you think? Yeah, none of this makes much sense. Raymond claimed he only had fleeting memories of the actual murder. His memories of waking up next to a dead body, however, seemed vivid. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. Now, the story continues. Where am I? Rita? A knife? What? What happened? Oh, God. What have I done? 
So seemingly, Raymond had fully confessed to the murder of Rita Bouchard. But at this point, the police weren't sure they believed Raymond's confession. Why didn't you tell us any of this before, Raymond? Why did you lie to us? I didn't lie, officer. I just... I didn't know any of this had happened until I started having dreams. Dreams, Raymond? After you first interviewed me, I kept having these dreams of killing someone. I just thought it was nonsense. But then the dreams kept happening, and they became clearer and more vivid, and suddenly I realized I was murdering Rita. And I felt that these were no longer dreams, but memories. Huh. I see. Listen, Raymond. If we were to head back down to Slater Park, would you be able to tell me everything about this murder? As much as I'm able to remember. But so much of it is still hazy to me. Let's see if visiting the scene of the crime jogs your memory. Sorry I gotta cuff you like this, but... Protocol. Wadsworth and Raymond went step by step everywhere that Raymond claimed to be on that Friday. They even recreated the entire car ride that Raymond and Rita went on. Wadsworth wanted to make sure that Raymond was telling the truth. Then the pair returned to the scene of the crime. So you found Rita crying on that bench we passed a while ago. That's right. There, when you approached her, she slapped you and repeatedly kicked you in the groin? How far into the woods did you follow her? I don't... I don't know. All I remember is waking up beside Rita. I can't stand to see dead bodies, so I decided to walk away. And when did you wake up, Raymond? Would have been around 10 at night, officer. Now, Raymond, I want you to think and think hard for me. Do you remember where you woke up? Do you remember where the murder took place? It was... It was around here. I remember there being lots of trees around me. Okay, I need you to point out to me the exact location. I can't, sir. I I don't remember it. I just remember waking up next to her, our heads right towards the river. It was around here somewhere. How'd you get your coat clean? I'm sorry? You must have been lying in the mud, and I'm sure you got blood on your clothes as well. Oh, no. I, I only found a few leaves on the coat. Easy to brush off. I see. And do you remember nothing else? A pocket knife was right next to us. And I just got up and walked away, through the woods back home. I'm going to ask you outright, Raymond. Did you murder Rita Bouchard? I don't... I don't know. I don't remember. But the more I think about it, maybe I did murder her. Raymond was returned to jail that evening, as Wadsworth had much to think about. This murder case and an entire man's life now rested on his shoulders. And as much as Wadsworth wanted to find closure on the Rita Bouchard murder, too much of Raymond's story didn't add up. Let's start with the description of the knife. Raymond said that he used a pocket knife, but this didn't match the knife found in the park. And there was no way that a pocket knife could have conceivably caused Rita's 30 stab wounds. Raymond also claimed that his coat didn't get dirty. Well, that wouldn't seem like a big deal, except this was February in Rhode Island, and the entire park was muddy. There's no way he wouldn't have gotten mud on him. And let's not forget that after stabbing Rita that many times, and then blacking out on the ground next to her, there should have been blood on his clothes. Raymond also stated that the murder took place in the middle of a wooded area, but Rita's body was found near the riverbank. 
So Raymond's claim that he left without moving the body would be impossible. And beyond that, Raymond noted that their heads laid towards the river when Rita's body was found perpendicular to it. Even if Raymond was lying or forgetful, it's unlikely that Raymond would have been able to move the body on his own. He was a small man, weighing only 90 pounds. He just wouldn't have had the muscle mass to move an adult woman. But the biggest argument against Raymond's guilt in Rita's murder comes from the initial autopsy report. In his initial report, Dr. Godet told police that Rita's time of death was no earlier than 6 a.m. on February 1st. But Raymond's story places the time of death at 9 p.m. on January 31st, a full nine hours beforehand. This timeline inconsistency is simply impossible to ignore. With that and the other inconsistencies in his story, Raymond was not charged with the murder of Rita Bouchard. But why would Raymond confess to a murder he couldn't have committed? Fame, possibly. Raymond's name would have been in newspapers all across the country. It's even possible there would have been books and movies inspired by his crime. He would have been a household name. Remember the Lindbergh kidnapping? That was just 15 years before this case, and over 200 people voluntarily confessed to it. Right. If Raymond actually did make up the story, then much of the weirdness and oddities of it suddenly makes sense. Another thought to keep in mind, Raymond wouldn't be the first mentally ill person to claim responsibility for an unsolved murder we've covered. We've discussed previously how news coverage can lead to someone with a mental illness believing they are guilty of a crime they didn't commit. And the fact that Raymond knew Rita only strengthens that possibility. Raymond may have fully believed the story he told the police, even if it was false. Raymond's tale is pretty insane when you really think about it. Although the police now considered him innocent of murdering Rita, they came to the decision that they didn't want to let go of Raymond just yet. Raymond obviously needed mental help, and he was, in fact, their only true suspect. And let's not forget about the fact that he still stood accused of molesting an eight-year-old boy. Raymond Patnaud was sent off to the Charles V. Chapin Hospital under the care of Dr. Sidney Goldstein, an expert on mental health in that era. Goldstein was instructed to help figure out if there was any truth to Raymond's claims while he treated his mind. When Raymond arrived, he was in happy spirits. He was not phased by being placed in a mental ward and viewed his life at Charles V. Chapin as more of a vacation of sorts. Mr. Patinod? Oh, hello, Nurse Francine. And how are we feeling today? A slight headache, but nothing too bad. How about you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm sorry to hear about your headache, but maybe some lunch will help fix that? Here, let me take that from you. Oh, Raymond, you're too kind. Well, I don't want to make your job any harder. Just make sure to clean up after yourself. As always. And if you need anything else, just give us a holler. I'll keep you updated on that headache of mine. They usually come around full moons, so hopefully it'll fade soon. Hopefully. Take care, Mr. Patnod. The Raymond that entered Charles V. Chapin seemed like a completely different person than the boy who mouthed off at Sakanasa just a year prior. By comparison, he was quite the gentleman here. However, as the weeks went by, Raymond's attitude took a drastic turn. I don't belong here. I need to get out. I need to go. Mr. Patnod, just calm down. Raymond, you are here for your own good. I'm here as a prisoner. I don't belong here with the others. We're here to help you, Raymond, and that's all. I need to get out of here. You need to let me go. I don't belong here with the other crazies. Nurse, help me take him to room 118. 
Hopefully we can calm him down there. Yes, doctor. Calm down. It's okay. No, no, let me go. Calm down. Let me go. Raymond spent a full month in this mental hospital, and by the end of his stay, he had returned to the disinterested mindset he had back when he was at Sakonasset. And after Raymond's month's stay, Dr. Goldstein and the other doctors of the facility reached their final verdict on his case. So what's the diagnosis, doctor? Your own hypothesis was indeed correct, Inspector. Raymond is a clinical moron. In the most technical of terms, mentally deficient and psychopathic. And his confession? Still troublesome, I assume? Correct. Details big and small changed in every telling. A clear sign that he was likely not involved. Well, it was worth a shot. Thanks for your help, Doctor. Of course, Inspector. Hopefully Raymond's defective delinquency may yet be curbed. Well, we'll transfer him over to the courts and see what they say. He's still got a case against him, after all. Dr. Goldstein's diagnosis, clinical moron, wasn't an insult. It was a legitimate psychological term at the time. It denoted an IQ between 51 and 70. That put Raymond's brain at the developmental level of a child between 8 and 12. The word moron fell out of use in the 1970s. It was originally coined by French eugenicists, so considered a derogatory term for people with an intellectual disability. Now, this is interesting because, statistically, people with an intellectual disability are more likely to confess to a crime they didn't commit than an average person. And for the authorities' purposes, Raymond's disability made his story even less believable. The case of Rita Bouchard was officially closed, unsolved. No other clues, no other suspects, not even an idea of a possible next step. And as the years passed, many of Pawtucket's connections to the Rita Bouchard case faded away with time. Raymond was eventually found guilty of his carnal knowledge charge and returned to Sakonasset for an additional sentence. Not much else is known about Raymond's life, other than he ended up marrying one of his fellow mental patient inmates in 1951. Rita's aunt and uncle were eventually evicted from their home and moved out of Rhode Island, hoping to escape the memories of their niece's murder. The main settings of the investigations, the park, the movie theater, even Rita and Raymond's workplace, were all demolished as Pawtucket grew. The only remnant of Rita Bouchard's story is a tree along the Greenway bike path in Pawtucket, which features knife markings that are believed to be from the same knife that stabbed Rita over 30 times. But who was it that really killed Rita Bouchard? Obviously, the case's number one suspect was Raymond Patnod. Although Raymond's story is full of inconsistencies, is it possible that he actually did what he said he did? Raymond struggled with an intellectual handicap. It is possible that he simply misremembered some details along the way. And it's hard to deny that Raymond's story seems complete, and in some ways, plausible. But even if Raymond provides us with the clearest story of Rita's murder, his confession seems a tad too crazy to actually have happened. What if Raymond didn't kill Rita? What if he simply witnessed her murder? What do you mean? Well, there are a lot of details in Raymond's story that are, as we say, plausible. And most of those plausible details are the events that happen in the lead-up to the murder. Perhaps the traumatic experience forced Raymond's mind to place himself in the role of the murderer. 
Or he was covering up for someone, and the wild story was meant to throw the police off track. We never did find out who that mysterious driver was, and it's rather suspicious that Raymond had no description of him. Could this mysterious driver be the murderer that Raymond blocked out of his brain? Well, of course, that's assuming that any of Raymond's story is true. More likely, it was one of Rita's former boyfriends who killed her. Rita had specifically mentioned that she feared her ex-boyfriend, Charlie. And unlike Raymond, an ex-boyfriend would have had a motive to murder her. A majority of the murders of young women in the era came from the jealousy of lovers. It's reasonable that the case of Rita Bouchard would be no different. Well, the only problem with this theory is that the ex-boyfriends interviewed, like Charlie Andrews, all had alibis on the day of the murder. Perhaps it was the police who had missed something. Maybe they didn't just dig deep enough into Charlie's alibi. They sure did seem to stumble upon clues quite a bit in this case. Mm, right. Well, Charlie could have lied and gotten other people to lie for him. And just to cover all our basis, if not Raymond, and not Charlie, or any of Rita's boyfriends, then who else could it be? This could simply be a random act of violence. A random murder on a cool February morning. A murderer who leaves town as quickly as he arrived. Personally, I still think it's one of Rita's ex-boyfriends. Despite their alibis, it's the only idea that makes any sense. I can't get past the fact that Rita told her aunt she specifically feared an ex-boyfriend coming after her. And because of that, and the bad breakup, we know he had a motive. Of the official police suspects, I would agree. The ex-boyfriend theory is the only one that truly works. But it stands to reason that the murderer is likely someone whom the police never even considered, or never could have found. Although we may never know who killed her, Rita's murder remains one of the strangest murder cases in Rhode Island history. And the only person who knew the truth remained free and at large. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on Apple Podcasts. Tune in Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. And next Tuesday, we'll be investigating the case of the Black Donnelly. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murder's True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro and Kenny Hobbs, production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unsolved Murders is written by Nicholas Tedesco and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Amber Connor, Z. Cruz, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, Nick Masu, and Manuna Ryan. <laughs>